Have you ever considered the fact that the same people that shouted Hosanna, which means God saves, during Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, are the same people who stood just a week later shouting crucify? Have you ever been tempted to exchange your own Hosanna for a crucify? Thirty-five thousand decisions. That's the average number one adult makes a day. Some are minuscule, others are paradigm shifting. But how many are we making and we're not even considering the ripple effect they're setting into motion? She chooses as a place purpose to help women harness decision-making power by allowing God to open our eyes and give us courage to make the one that leads to obedience to his plan, the one that leads us to the promise of hope and future that he's laid out for each of us. If you find yourself in a place where life seems to be obstructing that view and your current state is stuck, meet me at She Chooses where together we work intentionally to choose Jesus over and over again. Hey friends, do me a favor. If today's episode speaks to your heart, share it. Share it with a friend or consider leaving an Apple podcast review. When you do, you raise She Chooses in the search results of others, making it easier for them to find. We are quickly stepping into the Easter season. While we're not there just yet. I do want to take some time over the next few episodes to dig into what this time of year really means. I want us to lean in together to look at several of the events that happened during that last week of Jesus's life. That last week before Easter is known by many as Holy Week. I wonder if those of you listening, if you do anything special to prepare yourself for Resurrection Sunday. For the past couple of years, I've determined to spend focused time really preparing my heart for what this special Sunday is really all about, soaking myself in scripture, focusing on the events that took place immediately prior to the crucifixion and that great resurrection day. I thought you might want to join me. Today we're going to focus first on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Before we dig in, go get yourself a cup of coffee. Grab some earbuds, grab a notebook, do what you got to do, because we're about to get started. The Triumphal Entry. This marks one week prior to Jesus' death. We find this recorded in all four of the Gospels, which is interesting. We find it in Mark chapter 11 verses 1 through 11, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40, and John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. As we're looking at this, I want us to see Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem as his triumphal entry into our our own heart. I want to focus really on the account that we find in the book of Luke, But before we jump into the actual entry, I want to look 10 chapters before that 
in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 56. The King James Version says this, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire down to come from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. I think this is something that we could spend time really thinking about. You know, what does that mean to you? Does it make you think of a straight path from where he was to Jerusalem? Or what does that really mean? This has been a statement that has stood out to me for a couple weeks now. For me, I see this as the time when he, he set his determination to fulfill his mission. He knew it was time to start moving to Jerusalem. He came, he initially came in pursuit of the cross. That was always his determination, knowing that was the end game. But here we see things, they start to become more and more intense. Was it an actual straight path? I don't really think so. I mean, people have mapped it out and it doesn't really look straight. But was he advancing to the fulfillment of his purpose? Absolutely. This statement, he set his face towards Jerusalem. It draws my mind to Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7, where it says, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 9 says, I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. When you look at these verses and you you take it and you put it next to Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, I feel like that statement, the depth of it increases substantially. It's not just this physical position. It's a mental determination. An interesting note, flint is a stone. It abounded. It it was abundant. And it was all over the plains and the valleys of the wilderness where the Israelites had spent 40 years wandering. It's this hard rock and it can be used to start a fire. All of which is intensely interesting when you start to, to compare it to what Jesus did in his work on the cross. When we, we look at this in comparison to his triumphal entry into our heart, we all experience wilderness places, don't we? I see the abundance of this rock being there as a reminder of sorts that their de- deliverance from that place was coming, just as ours, the wilderness that we find ourselves in. And it's a reminder of our need to be firm and resolute and our determination to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This statement, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, he set his face like Flint, is telling us our Messiah, our Savior, he made up his mind to endure all the contempt that was coming, the scorn that he would, that would, he would run into, and he was not going to shrink 
away from any of it to any degree. All of that suffering, he was going to keep his face toward it and face it head on. And that was all going to be necessary to accomplish the great work that he was engaging in. There was a time for this all to happen. It was preordained. It was fixed. This suffering, this death of our Lord, he knew when that time was. Yet he didn't shrink. He didn't cower. He actually gets more and more bold. He gets louder and louder. And we see that as his miracles are intensifying. And he's doing this because he knows his time is short. When Jesus saw his time was quickly wrapping up, he had the ability to see through what was coming to the glory that was going to follow all of that pain and suffering. He knew he would be received up to the highest heaven and he was going to take his throne there. He knew his death wasn't the end. It, it was a translation. And we see that when we read of how he spoke, that this translation that was going to happen, um, it was taking him to a better world. And it made, when he was speaking of these things, it made it desirable. The last B attitude tells us, um, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus shows us exactly how to live this out in this pathway to the cross. What is our natural reaction to pain? I don't know about you. Oh, actually, I probably do know about you. We draw back. We turn our face. We look the other way. But he steadfastly set his face against all opposition to go through it with the work of our salvation. We see very quickly after Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem, he's already met with rejection. And James and John, they step in and they want to destroy the city that has rejected Jesus. But here we see Jesus rebuke them. He says this, he says, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. What characteristics do we observe in James and John right there when they ask if they should call fire down? First, we see they believe that they can do all things. What they know happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, they're asking for it. And what they know happened in times past, they're even reaching for it. And that's good. It's good that their belief is so strong. But they can also be viewed as being prideful and assuming that they know God's plan. They have jumped to a conclusion. How many times have we done that? We assume that because a path looks painful, that it's not the path for us. And unfortunately, that's just not always the case. God's ways, they always seem to be so counterintuitive to us. John chapter 12, verse 24 tells us, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. This is a beautiful depiction. God uses the physical to explain the spiritual, and we see it all around us if we will take time and look. In the Midwest, we live in agricultural America. This is a common thing. It is so commonplace that we often skip over the fact that each planting season, we're seeing the gospel play out. 
the rows of corn we drive by or the seeming ocean of soybeans that surrounds us, you know, the, the wildflowers growing on the side of the road or the flowers we intentionally plant every spring, the gardens we prepare for that we're starting to prepare for even now or the trees we see all around us, every one of these plants, they were started from a seed that has died. It isn't a mistake that this is everywhere, but it is a mistake that we look at them as commonplace and we miss what is actually happening. It draws my mind to to take up your cross and die daily. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. God, he desires to perpetuate the gospel throughout all generations we are called to be a vessel where this perpetuation, it's allowed to move through and onward to the next generation, to all that are, we interact with. Jesus, he, he sent on 70, 70 people, and they went out two by two into every city that he was going to go to. This was something kings would do to announce their coming. This is also something that Jewish bridegrooms would do so that their bride would not miss their coming. He would send his friends ahead of him to announce his arrival. You know, Jesus is our bridegroom. We are the bride. He's letting us know. He's making us it so that we cannot miss that he is coming, that he is king and Lord over all. From here, after Luke chapter 9, we have 10 chapters outlining what he did on that path to Jerusalem. And we finally land in Luke chapter 19, where we learn about his last week on earth. But before we get there, we read in Luke chapter 18, verse 31 through 34, we read this. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. He's telling them again. He's telling them. He's reminding them. The things that you know. The prophets of old have said. These things are about to come to pass. Yet they do not know yet. When we get to Jerusalem, we find it's swarming with people and they're preparing for Passover. All of these people, they had gathered in Jerusalem. They had headed there to celebrate this wonderful feast of Passover. And it brought thousands of pilgrims in the area. Thousands of them had joined together to celebrate this beautiful time. And we get to Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 40, the actual point of the triumphal entry. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying, go ye into the village over against you. In the which at your entry, you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man, never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent their way found, even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owner thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? 
And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered unto them and said, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Here we see there's a celebration happening. They're cutting down palms. They're laying their coats and the palm branches and in the uh, robe, road like a royal red carpet for their king. These people, they assumed he was there to lead them to victory. They wanted to revolt against Rome. They were seeking an earthly kingdom that they knew that they assumed was going to be taken by force. How many times do we get caught up in that same sort of thought? We feel like we're in a place of captivity. You know, like, Lord, we are in bondage. We are being held captive. And we have that get them God attitude. Get them. I wonder today if anyone has ever had one of those experiences where you thought God was going to just absolutely slay, obliterate your oppressor, but God's plan was less instant and more long-suffering. It makes me think about a trial that I went through. It lasted 600 days. Going into it, I assumed God was going to just stand up, flex his muscles, and boom, the whole thing was going to be over. But as I reflect, I realize I really had a prideful and assuming mindset. You know, I, I really thought I had everything figured out. But walking through those 600 days, God showed me so many hard places in my heart and did this breaking up of fallow ground within me like I never imagined. This triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it shows us a picture of his triumphal entry into our heart. As we walk through the last week of Jesus's life, we see this painful depiction of our actions and our handlings of God in our own lives. And sometimes it is so painful to see, but it's also very beautiful to understand that God chose the cross despite of our misunderstandings. God, he doesn't come in and take things by force. He demonstrates for us that his kingdom is one of lowliness and servanthood pushing through the here and now, uh, the momentary but seemingly eternal pain of our current circumstance and our need to look toward our heavenly reward. It's really interesting to note that the people that were shouting Hosanna as he makes that triumphal entry into Jerusalem just days later were the ones shouting crucify. We can get after them and we can wonder how could they miss it, but there are times when we do the exact same or we're tempted to do the exact same, especially during those long prayers where we're just like, come on, Lord, where are you? And we all, if we're not careful, can be tempted to exchange our Hosanna for a crucify, which is why it's so important that we stay entrenched in our Bibles and keeping those lines of communication through in prayer open with the Lord, because we need those consistent reminders that he gives saying, I told you this is coming. All throughout the Gospels, 
our entire Bibles, we read prophecy after prophecy after prophecy telling us what's going to happen. Jesus was so intentional about telling his disciples what was to come. He knew they didn't get it now, but they would in time. And it was going to strengthen their faith when they saw things unfold as he had said they were going to. Because what what he was doing when he's revealing these things is saying, I am sovereign. And these prophecies are They're purposed for the same in us as we liken this to his triumphal entry into our heart. He told us these things. He's given us glimpses of things to come, all in a demonstration that he is the I am. We're seeing prophecies being fulfilled right now, aren't we? It's not by coincidence. It's not an accident. He wants us to see what he has written so we understand he is coming. That we are to be ready. He doesn't want us to miss it. Jesus' purpose in riding into Jerusalem was to make public his claim to be their Messiah, the King of Israel. It consistently strikes me as weird every time I read Jesus perform a miracle and he says, stay quiet, don't tell anyone. But he couldn't, he couldn't be revealed until just the right time, which I cannot imagine why he would say, stay quiet. Or don't tell anyone because he's doing all of these marvelous things. You want to shout about it. You want to brag on him. But there he is because he knows that it was not time to be revealed just yet. Which is exactly what the triumphal entry was. It was the time. This was the moment he wanted to be openly proclaimed as king. This was fulfillment to Old Testament prophecy. Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey was an exact fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus was hailed as king. He then ascends to his palace, but not a temporal palace, a spiritual palace. At that point, he stops telling his disciples to be quiet about him and instead to shout and worship him openly. The spreading of the cloaks was, that was an act of homage for royalty. We learn about that in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, when Jehu was appointed as king. They did the exact same thing. Jesus in this moment was openly declaring to the people, people who were faithful and familiar with scripture, familiar, the ones who knew the prophecies well, that he was their king and Messiah, the Messiah they were waiting for. But they misunderstood the type of king he was. And sometimes we do the same, don't we? They kept assuming he was this earthly king, not their heavenly king. They thought he was their savior from Roman bondage, not their savior from sin. They were focused on the temporal. Jesus was focused on the eternal. The people recognized him as the son of David who came in the name of the Lord. They demonstrated this by quoting Psalms chapter 118 verses 25 through 26. They were referring to Jesus as the son of David, chanting the words of Hosanna, which means God saves. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the others responded, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. They cut those palm branches. 
They cut other leafy plants, just as Jews did at other celebrations and festivals, and they strewed them in that path. I've already said it. It was like a royal red carpet being rolled out before him. But when he didn't meet their expectations, their hearts began to turn just the same as sometimes ours begin to turn. Friends, we have to be so careful not to try to tailor God to fit our expectations. Jesus is God. He knows what is best. If we try to make him fit our expectations and what is acceptable to us or else we reject him, then that is the path of self-destruction. And as we continue on this journey to the cross, we find that that is very clear and evident. Jesus came poor and humble. They thought he would come royal and boastful. They misunderstood his reason for coming altogether. He didn't come to conquer nations. He came to conquer hearts and minds. Not taking it with a revolt and demand, but with peace and love. And he still works that same way today. His kingdom is perpetual. It perpetuates when we choose to follow his footsteps, exhibiting these same qualities so the world can see him living and reigning triumphant over our hearts. Psalms 86 verse 13 says, Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. We're going to continue on with this journey to the cross, saturating our minds and our hearts in those last few days of Jesus' life. And this verse is so beautiful and something that I want us to really focus in on. Righteousness went before him. And he did make footsteps that have created a pathway for us. Let's remember that this week and the choices we're making and remember to choose him. Let's take a moment to just reflect a little bit on why did we just spend some time listening to this? What can we really get out of this? I want us to take time this week to really think about what the triumphal entry means to us. Jesus set his face as flint for our heart, resolute, determined, immovable. That's the passionate love of our Savior. It's something worthy of pondering and processing and spending time this week in deep repentance over the way that we have overlooked his work and his passionate pursuit for us. So take time, get in your prayer closet, and really connect with our Savior this week and pray, Lord, I want you to be triumphant over my heart, be triumphant over my mind, my will, and my emotions, and Lord, help me that my Hosanna never turns into a crucify. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend with me. I appreciate it so much. I pray that this episode was able to encourage you in some way, shape, or form. And I ask if it has, would you just please take a moment and leave a review? Let others know what you think about the podcast because when you do, what it does is it elevates this podcast in the search results of others, making it easier for them to find encouragement to their day.